pleasure of reading through Luke's Gospel and all its amazing uniqueness, from the baby being laid in a manger, to life-changing stories of good Samaritans and prodigal sons told from the road, to encounters with ten lepers and the short tax collector named Zacchaeus, all these narratives are unique to Luke. We end the year appropriately with one more story found only in this Gospel, the story of three crosses with two criminals flanking one king who is unrecognized by all, save for the one whose simple, gasping request is, remember me. When Jesus offers him so much more, it is Luke's final reminder to us of God's surprising good news for all who are lost. The reading is from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 to 43. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today... You will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, happy New Year's Eve, people. Christ the King weekend, the last big hurrah in our church year. It's a festival that is designed to celebrate Christ's authority, Christ's power, Christ's victory, Christ's kingship over all the forces of evil in this world. And so, for a day like today, you would expect a reading about conquest. You would expect a story about glory. You would expect a story about triumph. But our gospel story is not like that. Instead of Christ on a throne, we get Christ on a cross. Which raises the question, why? Why this story on this day? And as to the answer, maybe another story will help. It's called The Young King by Oscar Wilde, and it goes like this. Once upon a time, in a kingdom far, far away, there was a princess. This princess had an affair with a man far beneath her station and became pregnant. And no one ever found out who the man was, but shortly after giving birth to the baby, the princess died of mysterious causes, and the little boy was taken away and given to a poor goat herd and his wife, who raised him as their own. Until 16 years later, the old king was on his deathbed, and there was no heir apparent for the throne. And so the old king sent messengers out far and wide 
to find the long-lost son of the princess and bring him home. So finally, they find the young man out tending the goats in the woods, and they bring him back to the palace to make him king. Happily, the young king casts off his old leather tunic, his sheepskin coat, his wooden shepherd's crook, and revels in the glory of the palace. He loves the beautiful artwork. He falls in love with the sculptures and all the gems and excitedly sends people out in all directions to gather more treasures and bring them back for him to enjoy. As his coronation day approaches, the young king can think of nothing but the cloak of gold cloth, the ruby-studded crown and the pearl-encrusted scepter that he is going to get to carry on his coronation day. But then, the night before his coronation, when the young king falls asleep, he has three bad dreams. In the first dream, the young king sees the weavers who are working on his robe of gold. And the weavers, men, women, and children, are all skinny and starved and they tell him they are little more than slaves to the rich, that they spend all of their time harvesting food and making garments for the wealthy while their cupboards are bare and their clothes are rags. In the second dream, the young king finds himself on a huge ship rowed by hundreds of slaves, and they take the youngest slave and fill his nose and ears with wax and weigh him down with a stone and send him into the sea over and over again to dive for pearls. Each time the slave comes up with one pearl and is immediately sent back down until finally he comes up with the biggest pearl of all and the slave master holds it up and declares, finally, here is a pearl worthy of the king's scepter. And at that, the slave dies and his body is cast overboard into the sea. In the third dream, the king finds himself on the edge of a jungle. And as far as the eye can see are hundreds and hundreds of men who are digging in the riverbed, mining for rubies. But first one, and then two, and then three plagues sweep through the men, eventually killing every single one. Horrified, the young king turns to the man next to him and says, for which king are they mining these rubies? And the man holds up a mirror and says, look in here and you will see the face of the king for whom they mine. Looking into the mirror and seeing his own face, the young king wakes with a shout. It's the morning of his coronation day. And all the highest officers of court are coming into his chambers bearing the cloak of gold cloth the crown with all its rubies and the scepter embedded with pearls. But remembering his dream, the young king says, take them away, I will not wear them. And instead puts back on his old leather tunic, his sheepskin coat. He grabs his wooden shepherd's crook and makes a crown out of vines from the courtyard for his head. The courtiers are horrified. They say, how will the people know that you are the king if you don't look like one? But he ignores them and pushes out into the streets. And when he's out there, the crowds who have gathered to greet him, when they look at him, they're shocked. They say, 
Surely this is not our king. We wait for a king, but this is clearly a peasant. He tries to tell them who he is, but they will not listen. So he heads past them and rides on to the cathedral. When he gets to the doors of the cathedral, the guards at first not recognizing him, they won't let him in. They say, only the king can pass through here. Angrily, the young king says that he is the king and insists that they let him in. So finally they do, and inside the bishop is waiting. When the bishop sees the king's clothes, he is displeased. The king tells him about his three dreams, but the bishop says, There are so many problems in this world. No king can fix them. Go home and change. But the king ignores him, walks past the bishop, walks up the steps to the altar, stops before the image of Christ, and bows his head to pray. While he's there praying, suddenly all the nobles burst in with their swords drawn. They declare that this king in his peasant garb is an embarrassment to them, not worthy to rule, and they are going to kill him. The king ignores them, finishes praying, and when he turns around to face them, suddenly golden sunlight comes streaming through the stained glass windows and wraps the king in a cloak of golden light. The wooden staff comes to life and the wood grows out in uh, lilies that are whiter than any pearls. And from the crown of vines, roses redder than any rubies bring forth. And at the sight of him, the whole crowd falls to their knees. Even the bishop bows before him as with a pale face and trembling hands he says, A greater one than I hath crowned thee. And then they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> so I tell that story today because in our gospel lesson for today, the two criminals, they're essentially gambling with their eternity, right? On which empire are they going to place their final bet? To which kingdom are they going to give their allegiance? Which king, which person are they going to recognize as their true king? And so while the leaders and the soldiers and the crowds are casting lots for Jesus' clothes, the one criminal casts in his lot with the crucified Messiah, and he wins big, asking only to be remembered he receives far more than he had ever imagined possible. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That criminal places his best bet. But how did he know? How did he know that Jesus was king? It wasn't by the way Jesus looked. It wasn't by his throne. It wasn't by his robe or his crown or his scepter. It wasn't by his wealth or his armies or his hordes of servants waiting on him hand and foot. Definitely wasn't by his popularity. Wasn't by crowds of people following him and cheering his name. How did the young criminal recognize him when he saw Jesus for who he is? And more importantly, how will we? How will we? 
How will they know that you're a king if you don't look like one? They asked the young king. And so, maybe, just maybe we can learn from that criminal. And just maybe, if we ever see someone, if we ever see someone who shows what they stand for, not by their words, but by their actions, someone who leads by example, someone who goes first to the outsiders, someone who doesn't put other people down or push them down in their rise to power, but instead lowers themselves and lifts up the people around them, someone who doesn't get defensive when they're disrespected or disagreed with, someone who gives not according to what we deserve, but gives always the very best that they have to offer. Someone who no matter what, even at the hardest times of trial, thinks of others first. Someone who no matter what we've done, has not a word of judgment, but instead a word of mercy, of compassion, of forgiveness. Someone who banishes fear and replaces it with hope. If ever we see someone like that, we can know that we are seeing what the criminal saw in Jesus that day, and we can know that we are seeing the face of God in this world. So why this story on this day? Because Jesus is a very different kind of king. And the writer wants to make sure that when it's our turn, when we're choosing to which people and which institutions, which businesses, which causes to give our allegiance, that we don't miss out on recognizing the king who comes in disguise. And we don't fail to recognize Jesus for who he is. And by doing so, we get to place our very best bet. Amen. We, as the people of God, we do not mistake compassion for weakness. And we never mistake servanthood for lowliness. Because we know that these are the marks of Jesus and the marks of a true king. And so we sing praise to him now in our hymn of the day. All hail the power of Jesus.